a very special hello to you, our loyal listeners here on Radio Pulpit, your daily companion. If you are listening to this right now, this means that you are not listening to me live on air, but you are listening to a podcast that is proudly brought to you by Radio Pulpit and Cape Pulpit. This uh, podcast that you'll be listening to is an exclusive interview between myself and a man called Stanley Premnath. I've done a few interviews in my life. And um, I've had the privilege of really interviewing high-end profile people. But uh, boy, oh boy, this is one of those interviews that truly stood out for me. A profound testimony of a man that found himself in a building that was hit by an airplane. You'll also see, uh, well, hear some information regarding some of the exclusive footage that BBC took of the event and how Stanley Premnath was hidden under his desk on the same level that the airplane hit the Twin Towers but on these desk was a Bible and the desk stood strong. There's an awesome extended version of the interview between myself and Stanley unfortunately on air we could only play an hour but this interview is about an hour and ten minutes I promise you you do want to stay tuned all the way to the end. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Radio Pulpit, your daily companion. And thank you for uh, taking time to listen to this podcast. If you would like to follow me, you can either do so on Radio Pulpit's uh, network, or of course, you can go to Dwayne van Rensburg on all the social media platforms, and I will be available right there for you. Enjoy this one. Like I said, this is proudly brought to you by Radio Pulpit and Kay Pulpit. This is an exclusive interview between myself and Stanley Premnath. Enjoy. Be doers of the word with 657 AM Sounds of Life. All right, there we go. Welcome back. It's so awesome to be greeting in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, just before we went uh, into the break, I told you guys that um, I've got an awesome guest with me in studio. Um, and yo, it is an awesome guest. I've had the privilege of doing a lot of exclusives. And um, I'll be bluntly honest with you before I introduce my guest. Um, I've done high-profile people. I've had the, 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 the privilege of talking to the cast of The Chosen and um, Michael W. Smith. And uh, I sense in the spirit when the Lord wants to make a move. I've got a guest here. You might not have heard his name before. But I sense in the spirit even before we started that God wants to make a move. And I wanted to start the show with this specifically because this is a testimony. And... If you do not believe that God's got a plan with you, <laughs> you have to listen to my guest's testimony. Before we go any further, or before I tell you exactly who my guest is, um, or, or what he's all about, uh, all the way from the United States of America, <laughs> Stanley Premnath, my brother, how are you? It's an honor, a privilege to be here, sir. I bring you greetings from New York City, the city that never sleeps. A city where 24 hours you can do just about everything you choose to. Praise God, don't praise God, go and sleep, come out there, buy food, and just have a good time. That's New York City. Yeah, i got to tell you, um, visiting the States a couple of times, um, when we grew up, you would see in the movies a guy look at a girl and say, I'll pick you up at 10. Now, for us as South Africans, that's a very weird thing to say. Because in South Africa, you go pick your girl up at 6, because 10 o'clock is a curfew to be back home. Because our place is closed at 10, closed at 11. And then I went to New York. And I came to the realization that sometimes at 10 at evening, life only starts in New York. Absolutely. 10 o'clock is when life begins in New York City. You have all night to party, all night to go to a restaurant, all night to see a show, all night to hang out and do just anything you want. It's a different place. It is weird. Uh, especially knowing that I went to go watch a Broadway play called The Lion King, and it only started at 10 p.m. the evening. And after that, you got to go to Carmine's and have uh, an Italian bean, the best in town. <laughs> we spoke about that off yes, the other day, Carmine's. All uh -huh. right, so New York City, close to your heart. Have you, um, have you been there all your life, born and bred, or what's, what's your story? So I was born in British Guyana, South America, topmost part. The British colonized that part, and we became an English-speaking country. And when I was about uh, mid-20s, I came to America. America became home, and I never went back to Guyana. It's not because I don't want to, but because I don't have any relatives, only the good or bad memories. So America became home. New York is where I live. And I raised a family, and that's where I live now. That's yeah. home. 
Mm, all right. And you're almost on your way back. Um, what do you think of your visit to South Africa? South Africa just impressed the pans out of me. <laughs> the first thing is, in America, you're so busy if you were to ask somebody how you're doing before you answer they're gone in South America and South Africa. How are you? Good morning. And they stop and they look at you and they smile. We're too busy to even to say, how are you? We say, how you doing? And we're gone. But um, you, you can't beat it. I, I thought that uh, the Southern hospitality in America was something. And then I came to South Africa and says, huh? These people know something more that we don't know. So I was impressed. And the homes that we visited and the friends we've made while we're here, it felt like home away from home. Just awesome. So you met another friend in, in Dwayne van Rensburg and his family. So the next time when you do come to South Africa, please know you've got a place to come stay. Hello, man. And you, you're not just Dwayne, you're Dwayne Johnson. Is it? Oh, you're Dwayne Johnson. Come on now. Don't sell yourself short. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that one. Can I, can I say something interesting about Dwayne Johnson? Go ahead. So Dwayne Johnson's um, mother um, comes from a Christian background. Do you know why his name is The Rock? He's just big and solid. <laughs> the Christian meaning of the word Dwayne is The Rock. Wow. So his mother baptized him as a young child, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, because Dwayne means The Rock. That's the, that's the meaning of my name. That's beautiful. Dwayne, you are The Rock. Dwayne The Rock. You're the solid foundation. All right. All right. Hooray. Oh, well, anyway, just before we get to your story, I've I got to give you the honors. I'm, you said I should, but I'm not going to. When we stepped into the studio, you switched off your phone, and then you said something. Please tell our listeners what you said. I, I said to Dwayne, I said, Dwayne, I got to shut down my phone. I don't want to be disturbed. That if God is going to call me today, it's not going to be on a cell phone. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so if God is going to call you listeners, it's not going to be on a cell phone today. God is going to touch your heart, move to your soul, and he is going to impart what he has to say. Not a cell phone. Oh, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. You got me there. All right, uh, Stanley, let's talk about um, your journey. Um, uh, ordinary man working at 8 to 5. Uh, but your 8 to 5 was unique because you worked at a specific place called the World Trade Center. Correct. What did you do there? I worked in the World Trade Center as an assistant vice president. I worked for a Japanese bank. They called Fuji Bank at the time. Fuji Bank was large. I mean, when you talk about large, I'm talking about the third financial institution in the world. It was huge. And I worked on the 81st floor of the second tower, the South Tower, that is. When you work there, I helped to run the operation, that is, for Fuji Bank. When you work on the 81st floor, you look down, everything looks small. Cars and trucks and buses look like matchboxes. You were basically on top of the world. So that's what I did at the World Trade Center. I, I want to I touch on this because I, I think the moment anyone in the millennials and, and, and the newer generations, when we hear the word World Trade Center, all we hear is catastrophe. We hear terrorist attack. Um, I don't want to break the story to the listeners, but what does that terrorist attack and Stan working at the World Trade Center have in common? What does a terrorist attack and Stan works in a World Trade Center, what does it have in common? A couple of things. Um, World Trade Center was like home for me for the simple reason I spent a lot of time there. Um, I, I didn't have to get in for 9 o'clock, but I would find myself there 8 in the morning. And sometimes I'll be there depending on the time of the year, the month, quarter end. I'll be there 8, 9, 10, sometimes 11 or 12 o'clock at night. So the World Trade Center was like home for me. And after I worked so many years with the Japanese, what they did was that loyalty thing they were big on. What does it have in common with the terrorists? They saw that as if I'm to hit that building, I'm going to destroy that what stands as a symbol for America. So let's get it. They tried in February 26, I think, of 1993, and I had the opportunity of being in that building at that time. And the, the, the crazy thing is, I thought that's the day I was going to die. But I lived to come back to tell you this story that I have for you today that would knock you off your socks. I mean, if somebody was to sit down to tell me this story, the first thing I'm going to say, how did you make that up? But I'll tell you, my friends, some things you just don't make up. I'm not that smart to make it up. I just live through it to tell the good news. And the good news is to tell you there is a God. Let's go, Dwayne. 
We'll break the news. You you survived the first terrorist attack, but that, there was another one. Yes, I survived 1993, and there was another one. And like Jeremiah, I sat down and I watched the total destruction before these people were taken away to Babylon. In this case, they were taken away to eternity. But let me start you out this morning of where I was and how I got to work that day and everything that happened in between. You ready? Well, buckle on your seatbelts and let's go for a ride from the town of Elmont, where we live, to World Trade Center, Lower Manhattan, Wall Street area, they refer to that financial district as. So, wonderful day, Tuesday morning, September 9, September 10, 2001. I'm taking a shower, and I'm praying that same prayer that I carried in my heart for many, many years. Lord, cover me under your precious blood. Take us to work. Bring us back home in peace and safety. And we had this little house with two bedrooms, and I have two daughters, Stephanie and Caitlin. My wife is Jenny. One bathroom. So, man, we were at a disadvantage. <laughs> so here we are, and I am taking a shower, saying that prayer in my heart. And my wife, Jenny, is saying, Stan, I'm having a bad hair day, and I'm trying to figure out if I have the 35 years of marriage. What is a bad hair day, man? I can't figure that. And I told her, I'm going to be wearing my uh, lucky shoe and go to work today. She says, Stan, that's an ugly pair of shoe. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She says, it's ugly. I said, no. I bought the shoes for $110. And she went on. She said, Stan, for $110, I could have gotten you a Clark, a Bostonian, a florist chime. And she went on. I'm not a shopper. I'm the guy who holds the bag, sit on the bench. She goes to <laughs> shop. We go to eat dinner. And I said, yeah, I enjoyed the shopping. So where we lived in Elmont, I had to drive to the borough of Queens, park up the car, take the public transportation, the A train, the letter A train, and go to lower Manhattan. Nothing indifferent about that day. I stop at the same bagel store, pick up a raisin bagel, cup of coffee, $1.25, give the lady, I'm out of there. Brown bag in one hand, briefcase under my arm, pushes the button in less than 45 seconds. We're zoomed up on the 78th floor, the sky lobby of the World Trade Center. Got up from there. I work on the south side of that building, the second tower, the south tower, that is. Got out, took the local elevator, went to the 81st floor, walk all the way down from the north to the south side of the building, make a right, and I'm in the office. And young ladies are making copy of the copier. Stan, how you doing? I'm special, thank you. I know you're special. And she smiled. See, in New York City, you're so busy if somebody asks you how you're doing. They didn't ask you, how are you? They say, how you doing? And before you answer them, they're gone. But if you tell them you're special, they will turn back, give you that look, and they will smile. What make you special? And you tell them you're a child of God. And I took that to work for me, with me. You see, I work for a Japanese bank, and we had a lot of different ethnicities and religion in that bank. You had the Buddhists and Shintos and Bushidos and Buddhism and, and Catholicism and everything in between. You had some Hindus and some Jainism and, and Sikhs and everybody. But I took my religion seriously, and I, my Bible was always on top of my desk. So Delise and I exchanged pleasantry, and I walked to my desk. The phone rang, and I picked it up. My mother was on the phone, and this is what she said. Stan, are you okay? Yep, I'm fine. You know, I have three hearted brothers, um, Steve, Paul, Bill, and they all called to ask me the same question. Stan, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm saying to myself, that's a lot of love here. It's not even 9 o'clock. Mm. So I hung up the phone. Now I had two desks, one where the phone was and the other desk about six to eight feet apart. That's where I'm going to be sitting because we're in the middle of a consolidation with two other large Japanese bank. Now where I sat in the office, and I have to spell this out to you so you can understand the vantage point and the directions things are happening. If I was to look on the angle of my left, I could have seen the Brooklyn Bridge. If I looked straight ahead of me, I could have seen the Statue of Liberty. If I look an angle to my right, I could have seen Jersey City overlooking the Hudson River. And an angle to my right hand, swivel a little around, I could have seen part of the North Tower. Spectacular view, spectacular. So I walk, I'm going towards my desk to put my bag down, and something caught my attention from the North Tower. I saw like huge chunks of fireballs falling from the sky. So I walked closer to the window panes, huge panes, glass panes, that is, stood on the ledge and I'm looking up because the first plane had hit the first building way on top. So the building is burning from on top. 
and we were in the lift, the elevator that is coming up, did not hear anything. So I didn't have a clue. And my mother and brothers calling me never told me what happened. So I was very oblivious of what is happening outside. So I call out to the young lady. I said, Delise, come, come, let's take a look, see what is happening. So she came, stood with me, and we we're looking up at the building. And she says, Stan, I'm scared. So we walk, I walk back to the desk, pick up the telephone, and I'm calling my boss, Peter. Peter Del Grasso, his name is. I said, Pete-san, pick up, pick up. Son in Japanese is like, sir or mister. No response. I call his boss, Bob Militaglio. Bobby, Bobby, pick up, pick up, pick up. No response. So I said to Delise, let's get out of here. What I did was like when every normal, smart, rational thinking person would do, logical-minded. We ran out of the office, ran down the hallway, back to the local elevator. Punches the button, went back to the sky lobby where we would take the main elevator to go all the way down. So Delise and I, got out of the 78th floor of the sky lobby, multiple elevators, probably about 12 elevators, large elevators. And they had probably about two or 300 people on top of the uh, sky lobby standing waiting for elevators. The elevator opened right in front of me, the doors. I stepped in, Delhi stepped in, and 16 other people from our office went in. So a total of 18 of us went in that elevator. And 45 seconds after, we are in the lobby again right in front of the turnstile so you exit the building as i'm about to approach the turnstile to exit the building you can hear the intercom the public address system your building is safe is secure go back to your office your building is safe secure go back to your office over and over is being played and the security guard looks at me and says where are you going i says i'm going home he said why I said, because I saw fireballs uh, falling from the sky. He says, no, 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 no. Go back to your office. It's safe. It's secure. Mm. Now, I don't know. Many things I don't know. But if you have two tall buildings next to each other and one is in flames, chances are the next one is going to catch a fire. Bottom line is, when your neighbor house is on fire, you throw water on yours. And I knew that concept growing up in the country. But here, this man is telling me to go back up. Well... The doors are about to close on the elevator, and Manny Gomez is leaning against one side of the door and Jack Andriacchio on the other side of the door. And this is what these guys are saying. Come on, stand the man. We don't have Oldie here. We have an operation to run, somebody from the elevator said. You're not scared. You're a big guy. And I'm still not sure what I should be scared of. Had I known that the first plane had hit the first building, I would have been out of there. You see, when the first plane hit the first building, what happened was most of the people who were coming into work decided to stay out of the doors, and they were watching the episode. So everybody knew what was going on except me. Come on, Stan, we don't have all day here. What are you doing? And the young lady looks at me that I came down with, Delise Seriano, and she says, Stan, I'm scared. I said, I'll take the rest of the day off. Go home. And you heard that voice from the elevator. How can you do something like this? We have an operation here to run. No, 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 no. I'm running the operation. She is going home. I don't talk to my bosses that we never did. But I, I had to be that mouthpiece for the dumb. I had to be a stick for the blind. Mm. And that was the best decision I ever made in my life. And as this young lady is walking away, she's turning back, looking at me, whispering, Are you sure? Yes, go, 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 go. And she's gone. And half-heartedly, I'm deciding what to do. And I'm stepping very slowly back in that elevator, reminding 1993. I'm remembering that thing as if it's today. And it's happening so fast. And I remember in that day, it was a wintry day of February. It was windy. And my supervisor at the time ordered Chinese food from Chinatown. I remember she ordered Chinese cabbage and rice and a pork chop, and they put a hard-boiled egg right in the middle. <laughs> and we were sitting across each other on the 79th floor mm. of the North Tower. And all I heard was, boom. A guy had 1,200 pounds of explosive, a terrorist, in a white pickup truck. He parked in the basement, walks away, was triggered off by an alarm by a, a remote system, a remote control, and as you walk away a couple of blocks, he presses the button, and the bomb exploded. 
And within seconds, the smoke rose through the vents, the lights flickered, the building shook, and all hell broke loose. Now you've heard that proverbial phrase, that cliche many, many times, all hell broke loose, but you don't have a clue what that's all about mm. unless you're in that war zone. Mm. Now remember, we are not fighting a physical war. That's a spiritual war going on here. The bad guys are trying to get the good guys. Mm. The devil is trying to get to God's children. They're trying to destroy everything that you believe and stand for. The landmark got to go. We have to win. And if we do that, we will go to heaven, whatever that heaven is. We would have the virgins, whatever all that means. I wasn't taught that bread of theology. What I know is if you pray to God, you do the right thing, you go to heaven, you would eternally uh, praise God and rule and reign with the Lord. Mm. That's what my Bible tells me. Yeah. I would reign and rule with the Lord. So Sophia Huang, her name was, and her name is, and she's screaming, Stan, we're going to die. How can you sit at a time like this and eat? And I said, lady, if I'm going to go to the Lord today, I'm going with a full stomach. And I cleaned that <laughs> pork chop, my friend. I cleaned that pork chop. And you know, it's a lucky thing I did that mm. because I got home 2 o'clock the next morning. My wife thought I died. And in 1993, I did not have a cell phone. Sure. So I made that step very slowly. And I walked back in that elevator. And you know what happened next? The door closed. And I'm looking at all the faces of all these wonderful people that I will never see again. I still remember Alicia Levin looking at me and smiling. And Irina Bushlaw, she's smiling. And I reached there and I pulled the shirt, the, the, the sweater out of one of these guys' pants and said, come on, man, it's a warm day. What are you doing? And Alicia said, only Stan can do that. Because these folks in that elevator were not just my employer and my, and my co-workers, they were my friends. I had worked in that building for 13 years. So we had a bond. We had a fraternity going. And the elevator resumed back on the 78th floor. We got there and one man got out of the elevator in front of me. This man was out of a job for a long time, and my boss's boss took compassion on his family and hired him as a consultant. And that's the first week he's going back to work. I forgot his laptop. And the man makes a turn, and he walks into the men's room, and I never saw that man again. What do you tell this wife and the children who calls and says, did you see my husband? Did you see my father? What do you tell them? And I suffered with that survival guilt for a long time. Lord, why, why, why I live and all these people died? Why you chose me? All these good men and women, why, Lord? Until I stop one day and ask myself, why not you? Mm. What makes you different? Mm. I don't know the selective process God uses, but I know I'm special. Mm. I know I'm handsome, I'm brown, and good-looking too. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Yeah. And I walk all the way down the corridor, the hallway, and I got back into the office, and the phone, start, the phone starts ringing again. Picked up the phone, and a young lady was on the other line from Chicago, one of our rep offices. And because of the time difference, she is home, and at this point, they know it's a terrorist attack, and she says, get out. I said, get out for what? She said, we don't have the time. Please, Stan. I said, no. I'm logical-minded. You tell me why, I'll go, Stan. We don't have the time. You're not locked down on the computer. You're not watching the monitor. You're not watching TV. No, 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 no. Please, Stan, go, 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 get out. And I'm standing up with the phone in my hand, not looking in any particular direction, and I just happened to look towards the direction of the Statue of Liberty, and what I saw was a giant airplane, green color, you on the tail, the plane is bearing down towards me. I level lock eye contact. A couple thousand yards away, the plane is coming. I can hear the reverend sound that that engine is making, and the plane starts to tilt, like as if they tilt, they're going to take out a larger area on impact. And I looked at this plane, I'm all hypnotized and mesmerized and just glued there watching it, didn't know how to react. And all I did was I said, Lord, I can't do this, you take over, dropped the phone, screamed, dove under the desk, and the next thing I know was, boom, the plane crashed into the building. It looks like a demolition crew came and ripped the empire floor apart. Every piece of furniture is mangled, every wall is flattened, everything looks like matchsticks. A large chunk of the plane is stuck in the office doorway 20 feet from where I am. And with the impact of the plane, 
all that cement and wall that they had with cement, it got pulverized and it looked like dust. So it looked like a giant bag of cement just somebody just threw in the air. Mm. And the floor above me collapsed and it's hovering over the desk. And I'm like, oh my God, it's going to crush me. I'm going to die. But the bizarre thing is, or the miraculous thing is, the only desk that foot stood form was a desk I'm hiding under. And guess what? My Bible was on top of that desk. <laughs> Sometimes when we get into trouble, we do all crazy things. But when I saw that plane, I remember saying, Lord, I can't do this. You take over and I do it under the desk. You see, we sometimes take matters into our own hands, never leave it to the Lord. And here I am, don't know why I said it. I give that burden to my Lord. And he was able to get that plane from coming and I love like contact. Basically just flew right over me, crashed into the building, and I lived. All the cables that were hidden under the ceiling dropped. The sprinkler system came on and they were sparking. You can see the blue sparks. I'm like, God, I'm going to die. The floor is going to crush me. Or the flames going to get me 2,500 degree Fahrenheit jet fuel burns on. Flames all around me, What? not one hair is singed. I'm like, sure. only now I can understand Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> In that fiery <laughs> furnace, and they come out on, on, unburned, unhinged, good as all. Mm. I came out brown and well done. <laughs> yes, sir, well done. And I started to crawl, and I'm screaming, Lord, I don't want to die. Send somebody, anybody. And that split second, somebody heard that voice at the other end of the floor. This was a massive building. One floor was like one acre square. Mm. And as soon as I screamed, that brief second, somebody had a flashlight shining all over his head. What is that chance? Sarah prayed for 25 years before the, the, the promised child came. Mm. Hannah is crying for a man-child. Nothing is happening. Lee is getting all the babies and not Rachel. Mm. Stanley cried out, Lord, send somebody and help us on the way. But let me tell you what is happening behind the scene, then you won't understand why God is sending the angels to help me all the way. On that morning, Pastor Jim, our senior pastor, my father-in-law, uh, he was putting up a sign with two workers in the sanctuary that reads, enter into his presence with thanksgiving and the women group were meeting in church and they were praying and one of the workers there had a radio and they interrupted the program to say there's a terrorist attack on the world trade center pastor jim says pray for stan told the guys to continue working and he went home to my mother-in-law let's pray for stan so while these saints of god is praying god is sending help my way mm. so I crawled the entire length of the loans department to the lounge in the computer room in the communication room to the mail room and one lousy drywall stood intact. I always ask myself, Lord, why this one wall? If you wanted me to die, why didn't you leave me right there? Why did you bring me here to cross over my Jordan? Why did you bring me all the way here to cross over the Red Sea? Mm. But my Lord had a plan. He wanted me to stand back to see the salvation. He wanted to show me what is on the other side, the promised land. He wanted to show me where safety is all. He wanted to show me what fraternity and brotherhood will be. And I'll tell you what that means in a moment. Because one guy who had the flashlight, he was coming down the stairs with six other people. When they heard the scream, they ran back up, all the six people, and they perished. But this man stayed to help me, and he lived. He told me on CNN and CBS and BBC, he said, Stan, I was oblivious to smoke. I was in a bubble. I'm allergic to smoke and to dust. But there was something powerful in that scream that blew me down to the floor that even if I wanted to leave, I couldn't have. So here I am confronted by this drywall, 10 feet <laughs> sheet rock, well, it says a sheet rock drywall. And the man says, bang in the wall, I'll know where you are. I start hearing faint because when the plane hit the building, I got temporarily deaf. So I pounded on the wall and the guy said, I heard you. I can hear you now. He said, now you're going to climb over that wall. Now I had a large leg wound that was opening up. I took off my shirt, made a makeshift bandage, tied it up. My undershirt looks like it came from a shredder. I'm in bad shape. I tried to jump and grab onto that wall. I missed the first time and then part of the hanging loose 
ceiling that was there, caved in, trying to prevent from hitting my face. I raised up my hand, and a black sheet rock screw, a drywall screw like a nail, passed right through my hand and got stuck on the other side. Mm. I'm like, oh, my God. The guy said, what happened? I said, a nail went to my palm. He says, bite it out and try again. No, I can't do it. Is it attached to a piece of wood? Yes. He said, well, hit the wood and the nail's going to come out. I took the second option, hit the wood and the nail came out. And I known at this point, I said, I wouldn't be able to make it out because the fire was encroaching. It's coming closer. Mm. You're feeling the heat. I'm going to die. And I started calling out to this invisible God that I've heard so much about all through my life. All I did was to go to church or go to school or go to work. Lord, who's going to walk Stephanie and Caitlin down the aisle when they get married? What is going to befall my dear wife and these children? Who's going to pay all these bills that I have or we have? I don't want to die. Lord, anything you want me to do, I will do. Get me out of this jam. Mm. So you better be careful what you ask for, listeners. Careful what you ask the Lord because he's going to give you. And when he give you like the ten lepers, don't just take it and run away, run away. Stop, go back, thank you, Lord. Go and tell the good news. So I decided that I'll tell the good news. So when the Lord says come to South Africa, I had no choice in the matter, but I had to go to tell of grace. So I'm crying out to this invisible God. And all I can hear in my head, the pastor is preaching and he is saying something. And this is what he said. He said, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Mm. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Mm. That's all I can hear. And I don't know why. I took my left hand and I start caressing this wall as if I'm anointing it. I'm rubbing my hands against this wall. And the man behind the wall is saying, I can't hear you. Climb over. You're going to die. I'm not saying a word. And in my heart, I'm going to make it through. I took my left hand, tried to make a fist as tightly as I could with the right hand that was punctured. And I looked at that wall and I punched with all the force I can muster. And my fist passed right through that sheet rock wall, the drywall. What is that chance? I dabbled around White Tiger Kung Fu and Kempo over the years, but I never tried to break a piece of wood. And chances are I can't. The man grabbed my fist. He said, I see your hand. I said, when you see my body, my head, he yanked my body through. And I punched, and I punched, and I punched, and that hole got bigger, and I stuck my head. And this man gave me a headlock. And he pulled with such force, and I squirmed, and I flew over on the other side. Knocked him off his feet, and we rolled down 10 flight of stairs. We're on that 80th floor. And I don't know how to thank this man who just saved my life. I grabbed him around the neck, and I give him a kiss on the cheek, and he says, hey, hey, hey. What are you doing? And he got up and he fixed his tie and jacket and he stretched forth his hand. And he said, Stan. He said, Brian Clark, tours. And I said, Stanley Premier. But this guy did something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. This man did not let go of my hand, but he took his left index finger. And very gently, he started to rub the wound. And I'm saying to myself, what if I had AIDS? Because the AIDS was very prevalent around that time. But the guy stared me in the eyes and he said something. And this is what he said. All my life I live as an only child. I was born and raised in Canada. I always wanted a brother. And I find that man today. Wow. And this good old Irish man, he took his left palm that was bleeding, took my right hand, he rubbed it together and he says, today, a blood bond. you're my blood brother. Oh. Ah. So profound. In the midst of all of this chaos, this becomes a brotherly bond. See, we were not just covered by the same blood. We were covered by the same ash. Yeah. And we did not look different. We looked the same. And out of chaos, we found love. And out of chaos, we found brotherly love. And out of chaos, in a war zone, we found peace. And we found grace in our God. What a God to serve. Oh, this is mind-boggling. This is chilling. And he put his hand around my shoulder and says, come on, buddy, let's go home. Brian today assumes a role as a big brother towards me. Brian knows 
the wedding dates and the anniversaries and the children's birthday. And hey, this is your uncle Brian. Brian's daughter got married. And Jenny and I was at the wedding. And we sat on the table with Brian and his wife and his mother-in-law. His own children were sitting someplace else. And Brian introduced me as his blood brother to all the guests and everybody. And you can see this look, people looking at this lily white man, this <laughs> Irish man. And they're looking at this handsome brown man. And they're like, wait a second, what is wrong here with this picture? <laughs> but Brian would go to the grave saying that I'm the brother he wants. Always wanted a brother like me. As a matter of fact, he called me and he sent me a text message and he says, I want a full report of South Africa when you come back. That is Brian. Brian would walk around the car, make sure I buckle my seatbelt, closes the door, go around, then drive. If I was to be in trouble, mm -hmm. I would want Brian to be there to help to rescue me. In my heart, Brian is my guardian angel. Mm. So we started this long journey home. And the lucky shoe, well, it was giving me all the traction that I needed because the water was just cascading down. The water from the sprinkler system cascading down the stairwell. And the ground plus the water make it slippery. The rubber sole on that shoe was doing me good. So listeners, be careful what kind of sole you have. If you want to have it good, make sure that sole is well and solid and firm with the Lord. So I want to understand. So at this point in time, you guys are making your way down. From the 86, 88th floor. 80th floor. And, and are you doing this by stairs? We're going down by stairs. I assume the elevator system has been ruined by all of this? or Well, we didn't get a chance to go and take the elevator. The funny thing is, if we had chosen any other stairs, we would have died. A large chunk of the plane was stuck in my office doorway on the A floor. Or the flights, they, they lettered them A, stairwell A. B was chopped off. So if we had taken that stairs, we would have plunged to our death. Somehow the other Brian was coming down the C stairwell. And that's the one we took. Elevator was not even a concept in our mind. We had to go down the stairs. So we started that journey. We were walking down the stairs. And I was in the best shape of my life. And we got to like 45th floor. I remember I think it was Dean Witter, the company. It was a brokerage form. Brian put his hand against the door. There was no heat coming out. He says, all right, let's go through. Walks into the office, picks up somebody's phone. And he was speaking to somebody. I can hear the conversation. And he is telling Diane, his wife, I've got this fella here from Fuji Bank. He's in bad shape. But we are coming home. The bizarre thing is every person I encounter is telling me that I'm in bad shape. But to me, I'm okay. Mm. Mm. I tried calling my wife, Jenny. She was going to work that day. The first plane had hit the first building. And she stood up and saw when the second plane hit the second building and the building collapsed. And in her heart, I was gone. So I couldn't get in contact with her. The cell phones were not working because the cell tower was down. I spoke to her supervisor. I don't know how the calls were going through. And I told Louise, I said, if you get in contact with Jenny, tell her I'm coming home to you girls. Hung up the phone. But something caught my attention. I don't like to describe people in color. But I'll tell you so that the listeners can understand the fraternity, the brotherhood, the love that is happening here. The bond. Mm. A white man is lying down on the ground. Broken back, massive head injury. He had closely shaved head and you can see where his skull caved in. And blood and, and bubbles are oozing out. And a black American... An African-American security guard stood up and is guarding this man and guarded him with his life. And this man on the ground is crying out the same cry over and over. Please tell my wife and our baby that I love them. We just got married. Please tell my wife and our baby that I love them. We just got married. And Brian and I are frankly dialing 911. No help is coming. And the security guard says, send some help. And no help came. And this man took his job to the highest degree and died with that man there, watching him, mm. protecting him, talking about love, talking about gratitude, talking about fraternity, talking about taking it to the 10th degree. Mm. 
I hear, I hear that voice every night before I go to sleep as I'm telling you, I can feel goosebumps. Mm. Please tell my wife and our baby that I love them. And we continued walking and we reached the ground floor, the lobby. When we got there, the only people we saw were the firefighters and cops and EMS workers, the emergency workers. And these people were shocked to see us because they didn't realize that people were trapped in that building above the strike zone. Because when the first plane hit the first building and when the second plane hit the south tower, most of the people below the strike zone ran out and they were roped around four blocks. They had a tape around them. And these good men and women were belching orders, screaming to us, run, 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 go to Liberty Street. Liberty Street ran right across the World Trade Center. And these men and women in uniform are running back up the stairs and you hear that scream and we had a choice of stopping and investigating or going forward. And they're taking a hit, falling. These are the heroes, not me. And we're running and I'm telling Brian, I'm going to Trinity Church and I don't know why Trinity Church. And he says, I'm coming with you. It looked like a scene from Forrest Gump. We're running. Go, 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 go. And the people are cheering us off, cheering us on. And as we're running, not one piece of fallen debris or broken glass touched us. It looks as if the Lord had his wing over us, like a mother hand protecting her chicks. And we're running, and I bumped into this guy who was watching the spectacle. I recognize him as a Catholic priest. And the guy looks at me and says, oh, my God, you need the hospital. Again, I'm needing the hospital, but I couldn't see myself being sick or, 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 or damaged or, or beaten up or, or anything like that. But you need prayers, badly, they said. And Brian later told me that he and the priest, they laid hands on me and they prayed. Brian said, Stanley, you are babbling in a language that I don't understand. And I'm not bilingual. And one reporter says, Stan, you were speaking in towns and they couldn't interpret it. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm holding on to the fence of the church. And I'm telling Brian, it is going now. Stan, 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 I told you. By profession, I'm an engineer. Steel don't bend. What is he burning there? Is all draperies and cosmetic and paper. And he stopped talking. Stop. Because the building starts to sway so much on one side. You can see the building as if it's shaking. And it swayed all the way to the right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And you're kind of swaying with the building. Oh, my God. And it stops. And it starts swaying to the left. It's going. It's going. It's going. It's going. And you, you're kind of mesmerized, hypnotized, watching it transfixed. Mm. It's like a scene from a horror movie. Mm. Mm. And the next thing you know, with a thunderous sound, you hear boom, 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 boom. The building imploded. Because we were hiding behind the backside of the church, holding on to the fence, the church took the blunt force of everything and went poof, towards us. So the Lord protected us every step of the way. Talk about a God who cares. Talk about a God who loves. Talk about a God who protects and provides and make divine providence. Mm. Talk about a God who bring you out, out, out of chaos to put you on the rock to stand. Brings you out of the miry clay and he will put your feet in a rock to stay. He would even put a song in your heart. He would put a song of praise. Hallelujah. Sure. And all hell broke loose. When the building crumbled and went down, the ladies were taking out their shoe, their high heel shoe, and throwing it away. And they're running. And what you didn't see on TV was the not so able were getting trampled. And every form of expression you could have heard some people are cursing, some are swearing, some are praising God, some are screaming, and everybody is running. 60,000 people work in the World Trade Center. It looks like a city within a city. And everybody's running towards the Brooklyn Bridge. And Brian and I get separated from each other. And in my heart, my guardian angel brought me out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God rained fire. And now my guardian angel has gone. And I'm left with myself. And in my heart, they're bombing the financial area. I gotta go save Jenny. She worked for the New York Stock Exchange where their building was hidden over the Brooklyn Bridge. And 
I never visited her because of security reasons. You had to go through three sets of metal detector. So I never went, but I know the building number where she worked. And I got angry. I never want in all my life to be angry because I always tell myself I can do a lot of collateral damage. And I'm looking around for something and I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to myself, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I got to go save her. Mm. I saw a man driving a white 4 by 4 pickup truck. I ran alongside of the truck, yanked the door open, jump in, look at the man that says one word from you, you're dead, drive. The guy looks at me, thinks I'm a bad guy, reaches on top of his bash door, pick a box of cigarette, give me, says, here, have a cigarette. I said, no, man, I had enough smoke for one day. And you can see him smiling, and he looked at me, and I says, drive. He was scared. Didn't have no shirt. On the shirt, looked like it came from a shredder. I'm black and blue, 95% of my body covered with blood. Because when the plane hit the building, all the pulverized cement went and stuck into me, and I got swollen. He reaches the ramp of the Brooklyn Bridge. I yanked the door open, jumped out, thank you, and I'm gone. And running, running, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way. And I'm running, 40,000 people on top of the bridge. And I bump into this big guy, and I'm expecting him to take a swing at me now. The guy looked at me into compassion. So, oh my God, what is wrong with you? You need the hospital. I said, I just came up from the building. Again, this man is telling me this. The guy said, look, my name is Albert de Leon. I'm a senior counselor for French Bank. Tell me anything you want, I'll help you. I said, if you can only show me that building where my wife works, two Metro Tech Center, I'll be eternally, eternally obliged, eternally obliged. He said, I live right behind that building. What is that chance for you to bump into one man, 40,000 people who know exactly what she's got to do? Don't know. That is God sending people my way to help me because the saints of God are praying for mm, me absolutely. behind the scene. Yeah. I said, I'm not going. He said, what do you mean you're not going? I said, because the hot wire is bridge and everybody's going to die. So now he looks at me, and I'm a logical-minded person. He looks at me if I'm crazy. And he said, okay, sit down. So we sat down on top of the bridge, and you can hear the screams of people running and getting away as far as possible. And you can hear the F-16s hovering over lower Manhattan. And this is what the man said, tell me what you hear. I said, that is Uncle Sam taking care of business. He said, ah, come on, let's go. We got up and starts to run. We're running, I'm hobbling, running, hobbling. And we reached the lobby of the building where my wife works. As soon as the security guards look at me, they reach for the guard stick. And I took a karate stand. And Albert says, all we're looking for is Jennifer from the legal department. Please, please, please. And the guys are encroaching us the security guard and Albert had his back against mine and we're standing up and we're looking all right well now there's going to be some problem here <laughs> and collateral damage collateral damage that's <laughs> it and the next thing I know I saw this man running coming towards us and as he came he pushed the security guard one side and he says what are you guys are doing Stan is a good guy and this man reached and he opened up his button of his white shirt and here saying take my shirt Sure. He, said, he said, give this man anything he wants. Sure. Make him well. Stan, I can't wait here with you. We have an emergency general counsel meeting. And the thing is, I met Greg. His name is Greg Langan. Greg, I met him just once in my life for three minutes at a Christmas party. I think he was um, head of the general counsel for the New York Stock Exchange at the time. And he was gone. And the nurse come and came instead and gave me one of her jackets, and I give back Greg his shirt. And the nurse looks at me and says, Stan, we don't have the facility here to take care of you. You need the hospital badly. No, 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 no. If I can hear Jenny's voice, and if I can hear that my children are okay, I'll be okay. Stan, I cannot send you home with a cab, but he shut down the parkway. All right, so give me a phone. So she gave me a phone, and on my left hand, I'm dialing the number. I can't remember the number. I'm trying my best playing with the numbers, and the number pops into my head. And here's Jenny on the other line. The first thing is I don't know how the number went through because the cells were down. Mm, yeah. So that by itself is a miracle. But her phone rang, she said, and this is what she says. What are you doing this for? 
She thought somebody was playing a prank. Please don't do this to me. My husband is dead. Man, when you hear that, those words and you're still alive, when you still have 93 <laughs> octane and you have a half a tank of gas to go and you're still living and you hear those words, you would never be the same. Mm. My husband is dead. Now I'm alive. The Lord took care of me. I'm coming home to you girls. And I hung up that phone. The lady said, Stan, I cannot send you home with a cab to shut down the parkway. But let us go down to the train station. I said, lady, why would you take me down to the train station if they shut down the subway system? She didn't say anything. She just continued walking. So I followed her. We got down to the train station. Not a word is said. I stand up with my folded arms and she stood up there. I don't know if I was not courteous enough to engage in a conversation, but I was in my own world. All I'm thinking of getting home. We waited for like about five minutes. And may God be my judge, my witness to this. A train pulled up in the platform. Nobody was standing on the platform. Nobody came out of the train. Nobody went in the train. Just this lady and I. And the doors opened right in front to where I was standing. And I stepped in this train. And as soon as I stepped in, the door was closed. As if in retrospect, the this train, train came for, for me only. Mm. Mm. Now, many things I don't understand. And this was one of them I would never forget. As the train pulled away from the platform, the lady was in shock. She was in awe. She had her hands covering her mouth. And with her other hand, she's waving me goodbye. And the train is gone. The train stopped at every train station. And I was like the conductor. Every time the doors opened, I would poke my head out. Look, nobody came in and out. And I was gone. The second to last stop was where I'm supposed to get out. So I got out the train. When I got out the train, I saw a man walking coming towards me. Recognized the man, I saw him once. That was my wife's uncle. He had owned the office for Allstate Insurance Company on Liberty Avenue. He looks at me and says, oh my God, what is wrong? You need a doctor. Why don't you come to my office? And he had a plastic bag. He went to the Chinese restaurant with a styrofoam box with food and a bottle of water. He says, here, take this, you need it. So no, 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 I need to get home. So I walked back to the car. When I walked to the car, tried to start it up and put on the seatbelt, realized that I'm swollen, the seatbelts can't fit. And I'm saying to myself, Lord, today I'm going to have a ticket. It's crazy to think about a ticket on a day like that. But mm. I never had a speeding ticket. So I tried, tried, buckle on the seatbelt, and I drove like a robot, and I reached home. When I pull up in the driveway there, all the neighbors ran, came out, Gigi and Toots and Carolyn and everybody, and they hugged me. And Oh, God, thank God you're safe, Stan. Thank God. And I woke up that stairs. And there is Jenny standing up, and she had these two dear children holding on their hands for life. Caitlin was four years old. I reached for my little daughter, Caitlin, and I hugged that child, and she says, please don't touch me. You're not my daddy. She couldn't recognize me. I was covered in soot and blood, black and blue, and I was swollen. I looked literally like a bloody mess. And I reached for Stephanie. She was eight and a half. And I hugged that child. She still had the butter knife in one hand. She just had a sandwich. And that child looked at me and said, Dad, if you didn't come home, I was going to kill myself. Mm. When that child said what she had to say, after all that I went through, mm. it didn't mean anything. I just remember I hugged Jenny and the two children. And I said, Lord, thank you. Mm. See, that day I went to work with a prayer in my heart, and now I'm home with a thanksgiving. Sure. All I remember, I'm mumbling and I'm telling my wife, please don't take me to the hospital. They will never send me home again. And the next thing I remember, a doctor is leaning over me. And he is having a conversation with somebody on a phone. 
the doctor is telling this person on the phone. And I can hear every word. This man lost his mind. It may take a day, a month, a week, a year. Eventually he may snap out, but there's no guarantee. And I can hear every word that he was saying, just that I couldn't respond in speech. I lost my memory. I lost my speaking vocabulary. I lost just about everything. And the next thing I remember, I'm sitting down on the couch. And Jenny would leave me a notepad with a pen, a telephone, an apple, a bottle of water. And I'm wanting to know what this strange woman is doing in this house with these two children. And I'm scared to go back to sleep. And the medication that the doctor gave me, my, my adrenaline was overriding it. I couldn't sleep. And I was in days like that for days. My wife said, for weeks, I would not say a word. I would just lie down there. But I would remember this dear woman would pick, uh, would get up and she would put my hand around her shoulder and she would take me to the bathtub and fill it up with warm water with Epsom salt and she would let me immerse there. And she would bring me back and I would sit on the couch and I would watch CNN and this entire episode of whatever happened, it unfolded like a bad dream, a nightmare. And this day I'm sitting down watching and I can hear the newscaster is saying 911 is an emergency number. September is spelled with nine letters and she's going on and on and on. And I can hear in my head again the pastor is preaching. And he's saying all the answers to life is in the Bible. All the answers to life is in the Bible. And I remember I screamed out, Jen, bring my Bible. I had an old King James version of the Bible with the zipper around. And I remember she brought the Bible and she's stretching, leaning kind of to give me the Bible. And I'm wondering why she's standing so far, not realizing that I probably was treating her, mistreating her, not, in, not recognizing her as my wife because I thought she was a strange woman. I'm looking in my Bible for 911, and I don't know why I'm looking for 911. The pages are loosing and falling apart, and I'm turning this Bible, and I looked and I saw Psalm 91, verse 1. And I'm reading He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Mm. Like, oh my God, this is powerful. Mm. And I'm reading, a thousand shall fall at our right hand, and no harm shall come unto thee. Oh my God. It's like this psalm was written just for me. Mm. And I'm reading, continue to read. And I, he will call, and I will hear, will answer. Will be with him in times of trouble. And it read on, reads on. With long life shall I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And I snapped out. And I'm able to recognize people and faces. And I'm healed. Because of grace. This is one of the most profound testimonies I've ever heard. Thinking that it happened to you. Yet you still had the ability to find your way home. To get all the way into the presence of your loved ones. And only then lose your mind. I know this sounds weird, but... <laughs> there's the evidence of God being in this giving you the ability <laughs> to get all the way home and only then you go into this weird place of only to snap out later what a testimony if if somebody was to sit down to tell me something like this I would tell them come on man how can you make up something like this but I'm telling you something there is a God he is real if you call with all your heart and soul and mind and body, he's going to hear. He's going to mm. intervene. So my, my friends listening, I want to tell you, if you don't know the Lord as your God and Savior, you can make him that God today. You call on him and you surrender your heart 
And if ever you're in trouble like Stanley, if ever you're in trouble like Stanley, yes, Stanley Premnath, me I'm talking about, he's going to help you out. I don't know when he's going to do it, but whenever the time is, the appropriate time. He's a God who is rich in love and full of mercy. My God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. My God is real. You can call him Jesus, I can call him this, but he is Yahweh. He is Adonai, the creator God of heaven and earth and all things. And today I say, Lord, thank you for that grace. Had it not been for your grace, I would have died. So my friends, if you never hear this voice again, rest assured, I'm in, I'm in another church, another state, another country, someplace around the world, telling people of the goodness of our God. Praise the Lord. Before we go, I've got three more minutes with you. I wanna, I've got two questions and one statement. My first question is, could you very quickly, briefly explain to us, because if you are one of our listeners, um, you'll note that on this podcast, on this live, or on this broadcast, if you go to our social media platforms, I'll be posting a photo. Could you quickly fill us in on that photo? What, what will people expect when they go to that photo now? If you were to look at that photo, the first thing you would ask yourself, was this really Photoshop? And I'll tell you, no. I did an interview with the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, and they reached out to the Post Authority of New York and New Jersey, and they asked for the security footage of what happened on that impact, and they sent me a complimentary copy of that picture. That picture shows a person hiding under a desk that is yours truly. That picture shows that big old desk that I had with everything on top from an old a monitor to an old typewriter, even a phone book. That picture tells where I was and how the Lord protected me like a mother hen protecting her chicks. With an airplane in the background. With an airplane just before impact. If you look, you're going to see the airplane was just over my head. That's what I wanted to ask you. Where did it hit? Did it hit one or two floors above you? Because you mentioned that uh, a piece of the plane was still stuck on your floor. So you could actually go and touch the plane if you wanted to. Absolutely, I could have. The plane came eye level, eye contact. The bull nose of the plane hit in my office. But the plane was tilted when it came in. So the top floor took out the 82nd floor and the bottom wing, the 79th floor, the four floors that we had. And the nose of the plane, the front, came straight through my office. That is what you call a close call. That is what you call God having a plan with your life. Oh, praise <laughs> the Lord, yes. Uh, another question and perhaps a sensitive one so we don't have to spend much time on it. We've got three minutes, well, two minutes left. Um, have you, have you, um, ha have God intervened in the memories of that day? Do you li still live those memories? I, I mean, there must have been multiple dead bodies around you. How, do you. how do you cope with that from a mental point of view? I, I went counseling the first day because the health coverage that I had, they had given me 10 free sessions of counseling and my wife insisted I go to counsel. I went the first day and the lady told me, a Jewish woman, a counselor, you can sit down, you can lie down, you can stand up, just be comfortable. But tell me what happened to you on that day. By the time I was finished, she was in tears. And I said, no, 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 no. She's supposed to be the strong one here. And she's in <laughs> tears. So I chose that opportunity to tell people or tell her about what God did for me. And I walked her through the Lord's Prayer. And she accepted Christ right then. And I knew in my heart after that, that is what I was called to do. I was left to tell the good news. So I am what you call the ten leper. The Lord healed all of us. The nine lepers ran away, thanking, jumping for joy, run. I stayed back. Lord, thank you mm. to tell the good news. Go, show, and tell. So I'm coming here telling you, showing it, saying it. How did I cope? Pastoral counseling. But during the first six years after 9-11, I would get up every night screaming. And in a nightmare, I can feel all my skin and bones are falling apart. But one thing I kept back for myself without publicly saying it, but I'll say it now just for your listeners. I would hear this voice 
in my head in those nightmares. And this is how it would sound. I would not see anybody. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. That's all I can hear. Mm. And I would get up, scream, and Jenny would say, what happened? You got that same nightmare again? I say, yeah. And I would ask her, I would tell her, Jen, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't gamble, I don't have another woman, I don't do all these things. And she would tell me, Stan, I don't know what you're doing that you're not supposed to do. And to fast forward, I started to travel. Every weekend I was in a different state, a different church, a different government office all around America. And this day, Pastor Scott Temple, Park Christ Assembly of God, this man passed away last year. He saw me and he said, Stan, I was speaking at the church. And he said, are you okay? I said, yes, Pastor. He said, but you look terrible. And I'm like, I look terrible. And he says, can you sleep okay? As if he knows what is happening. But nobody never, I never told him this. I said, I'm having this nightmare. And people are passing, going to the cars and going. And he says, let me pray with you. Less than one minute, the prayer finished. And somebody flip a switch in my head. And I know what I had to do. I got home 2 o'clock next morning. Jenny wake up for me. This is Monday morning, and I got to go to work back at 6 o'clock leaving home. And she said, start from the beginning. I said, something happened. And she said, what happened? And I told her. And she said, I never wanted to get married to a pastor. My dad had been a pastor all his life. And I saw the struggles my father went through. <laughs> they would leave me home. And I said, no, you're married to me. You never got married to a pastor. And I put my feet down. And she said, so, Stan, what do we do? And she does all the bills in the house because when I come home from work, yeah, I don't yeah. want to see paperwork. And I said, give me a check for $1,000. She said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to enroll in the Berene Bible College and Global University. <laughs> I'm going to study. I'm going to be a pastor. <laughs> and the next day she gave me that check. And the first day I enrolled in that program, never had back that nightmare. And I knew in my heart, I'm supposed to tell the good news. That good news my God is alive and I am well. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I've got news for you. We've reached the end of our program, Stan, but unfortunately, I'm, uh, I'm a new friend. So that means technology will uh, definitely give us an opportunity to have it to be continued at some stage, even when you're back in the States. I think we can do things over the internet. I think Absolutely. there's way more to your story that needs to be told. Absolutely. So this was a first exclusive. I think the two of us will stay in contact with each other and we will have it to be continued. Well, praise the Lord. So this is your cliffhanger, listeners. This is your cliffhanger to be continued, part I like, two. I like that, huh? Way more to come. Anyway, my brother, it's been a blessing having you in studio with me. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I've got a place to go visit when I go to New York again. Absolutely. You just found a brother. Uh, yes. Sorry, I, I can't do the blood thing with you. but um, <laughs> I'm going to be your handsome brown brother. I like that. I'm the handsome brown brother. Of course. <laughs> anyway. Right. Well, we're going to greet you guys. And uh, I, I want to I ask you to take this podcast, to take the show, go to Radio Pulpit's Facebook page right now. Um, you'll see on the podcast, this is an exclusive, a photo of myself and Stan in the studio. Uh, it'll be the, the cover of the podcast. Please take it. Send it as far and wide as people who's without hope. People that says, God doesn't have a plan for me. <laughs> if you're in the World Trade Center and God's got a plan with you, no terrorist will stop God. And that is how he feels about you. Brother, thank you for your time. And this handsome brown guy says, Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm also handsome. Anyway, <laughs> blessings, guys. Um, and uh, Once again, thank you for choosing Radio Pulpit as your daily companion. Blessings and goodbye.